What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Prey, and today we have Will Duffy on the podcast. And Will and I got connected, so uh, I actually didn't know that I got connected to Will. About six months ago, my good friend Chris Griffith handed me a book about uh, interest rates and mortgages and and understanding the difference between 15-year and 30-year notes, and uh, it was Will's book, and I actually loved it. I actually texted Chris and was like, dude, I had never thought about the difference here in this way on 15 year versus 30 year. And my first property or my, my second property, I did a 16 year note instead of a 30 thinking I was being clever and realized like, I realized ultimately that that wasn't the case, but uh, in his book, it talks about a whole bunch of other reasons why that's not the case. And I found it very insightful. I really liked the way that he approached it. And then a few weeks later, I made a post saying that I would love to, uh, well, I made a post trying to be somewhat aggressive, but the point was I wanted to discuss life insurance with somebody who understands life insurance and show some of the upsides and downsides to some of the popular things that are being showcased as, you know, the right way to utilize life insurance. And Chris was like, well, you should talk to Will. And I was like, well, I really liked Will's book, so we should do that. So we jumped on a call and realized that uh, as that we actually see eye to eye on a lot of this stuff and wanted to bring him on the show. This is the first time I think we've ever had anyone who deals with life insurance on the podcast because this is a, I don't want to say trending conversation topic, but it's it's a it, it, I guess it's fairly trendy right now to talk about life insurance, but I also feel like it's uh, often misunderstood. And so this is going to be fun. This is going to be uh, posed more as a uh, educational, David's going to learn a lot from Will conversation, and we're going to have some fun. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic one, Oscar Mike. Today's sponsor is Prime Corporate Services. Now I want to take a moment to talk to you about Prime Corporate Services or PCS, which is a company that specializes in helping you with legal structure, building business credit, and filing your taxes, amongst other things. Now, PCS is a company that I have personally used just last week to help build my new holding company, LLC, for my business. And they specialize in asset protection and making sure that you are covered from worst case scenarios. Now, as a member of the Military Millionaire community, if you click the link down below, they will give you a free consultation in order to help point you in the right direction and help you ensure that your assets are covered if somebody decides they want to come after you. It's better safe than sorry, so make sure you click that link and schedule your free consultation today. Well, welcome to the show, buddy. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, glad to be here. Really looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you want to give the, the quick uh, five-minute background on Will? Sure. Uh, yeah. So Will Duffy here. Uh, I currently live in Puerto Rico, uh, originally from Colorado, still spend quite a bit of time in Colorado and uh, have quite an extensive history uh, with life insurance, which we will dive into that uh, really helps me, uh, you know, get to where I am today, but also help people understand kind of the ins and the outs of, uh, of life insurance. Uh, my practice today is really focused on tax planning and tax strategies 
that's uh, what we're known for. You can't uh, get too far down researching tax planning and tax strategies without running across life insurance. And so it's an important piece there as well. But uh, really looking forward to hopefully demystifying certain things with life insurance and most importantly, giving people education so that they at least feel like they have the knowledge base to make a decision uh, for themselves. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that sounds great for me because I, I know that I definitely have some misconceptions on uh, life insurance, but I also, I, well, as we talked about before the recording, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that as a guy who hosts a big Facebook group, I see a whole bunch of pitches and a lot of those pitches seem to be like, oh, well, the other guys are all wrong. It's like, well, if everybody says that the other guys are all wrong, then I don't know what to believe anymore. So I'm just going to assume that you're all knuckleheads, um, which is not true because I, I, I guess I'll start off with my my theory on kind of what I've come up with and, and point me in the right, wrong direction, whatever. Uh, I've kind of decided over over the my research that in a lot of cases, the way that life insurance is talked about, it makes sense for people who have the capital to overfund it. And it doesn't always make sense if you're not in that position. But I also realize that... Uh, that's a little short-sighted because people build wealth with age. So if you start earlier and build into it, so uh, I guess that's kind of where the extent of my knowledge is. I personally have a, a term term life and I invest the rest, but I'm also open to acknowledging that I probably do need to look into a whole life strategy here soon as well. So uh, I don't know. Awesome. <clears throat> let me, let me dive in here. So yeah. the first thing I'd like to say is, is that I've learned from experience and that's a nice way of saying I've learned from mistakes. <laughs> so I try to tell people, if you can learn from other people's mistakes, that's superior uh, to learning from your own. So number one, <clears throat> I would say this, most life insurance that people own today and most life insurance policies that people are being quote unquote pitched, I probably would not do them personally. So keep that in mind. Um, you know, you mentioned, David, a, a term policy. I'm actually not even a fan of, of term insurance. I think if that's all you can afford, you should do it. But I think if we're going to look at money and we're going to look at, you know, try to factor everything in in that financial decision, uh, as opposed to just looking at it maybe in a silo, I think we might come to the conclusion that term might actually be too expensive. So number one, let's start here. Because again, I think most insurance policies that people have, I wouldn't own. And most insurance policies that people are being shown as something they should buy, I wouldn't own. So I'm going to start with a term called infinite banking. And I'm going to say that I am adamantly opposed to infinite banking. So this is going to get a lot of people riled up, excited, interested, intrigued. Uh, before I explain why, let's talk about some other terms, uh, because you might hear different things. You might wonder, well, is that what infinite banking is? Is that what Will was talking about? So infinite banking, uh, bank on yourself, uh, becoming your own banker. Uh, these terms are all really describing the same thing, which is this infinite banking concept. 
the infinite banking concept, I believe, was created by a man named Nelson Nash. <clears throat> He's recently deceased, you know, three years ago, I think. And people put their own spin on it and put their own name on it, but they're really packaging something that he created. Um, full disclosure, many, many years ago, probably 15 years ago, I've lost track of time. Someone handed me Nelson Nash's book. It was this big black paperback book and I read it and I was, I thought it was a good concept. The, the numbers in the book made sense. The theory made sense. And so I decided that was something that I wanted to do personally. So some guy helped me get a policy and an infinite banking policy. And he said, here you go. You're, you're ready to rock and roll. Well, it didn't work. It didn't work like it, like it said in the book. And so I am a uh, analytical person. I love numbers. I love spreadsheets. I like to take things apart. I still remember when I was in grade school, I wanted to know why when you clicked a pen, it stuck out and why when you clicked it again, it stayed in. So I would take the pen apart and I would say, I need to understand this. So I took the life insurance policy apart and found all of the problems with infinite banking. And so uh, I'm going to go over what those problems are. And I got to a point where I was so frustrated, David, that I made a decision, which was we had come up with something that actually solves the problems and actually works. And I believe there is a solution that actually works. So if too familiar with it, uh, the infinite banking concept is this idea that if you can run your life, your financial life through a life insurance policy, you will be better off financially. Am I still coming through clearly? Can you still hear me? Yeah, I got you. Okay, great. Uh, I just got a little notice that my connection might be unstable. So I, I don't want to go to town and, and everybody misses it. No, no, we're good. We're good. All right. So, so if, if people want to read these books, they can, but to save you some time, the Becoming Your Own Banker book by Nelson Nash, who created this concept, he talks about in his book, buying groceries with a life insurance policy. He talks about buying vehicles, cars with a life insurance policy. Uh, he even talks about paying taxes with a life insurance policy. So I've heard it all whether it's groceries, whether it's a car, whether it's a vacation, people talk about buying plane tickets, upgrading to first class, using your life insurance policy. The, the list goes on. That is what I think does not work. Okay. And it doesn't work for a myriad of reasons. The things that I just mentioned are largely expenses. And so what kind of a, a bank account do we use for expenses? We use a checking account for expenses. And so if we really wanted to break it down, we'd say infinite banking says, take your checking account, replace it with a life insurance policy, and you're going to end up with more money. I don't think that's going to work. That's problem number one. I'll, I'll get into that more in a second. Problem number two, which might be the biggest problem, is... Uh, human nature. Okay. We can't avoid human nature when we're thinking about building wealth, when we're thinking about investing, and when we're thinking about doing some sort of a complex strategy that's going to involve you and who you are. And so human nature comes into play here. 
and the amount of tracking and and making sure you know money's getting paid back and interest payments are being made and and what money do you actually have and what have you spent it on is a full-time job and i've never found anybody that's able to actually do that with the so-called infinite banking concept and so human nature gets in the way you don't really track it you don't really understand what's going on next thing you know you're upside down and so that's that's the second problem the third problem is the biggest cost of life insurance is never uh, is never volunteered by the people selling life insurance. The greatest cost of life insurance. And so if people stick around and they listen to this full podcast, you will hear most likely for the first time in your life what the actual biggest cost is with a whole life insurance policy. And I will tell you what that is. So if we combine the fact that you're, you're supposed to have these expenses that you're now going to buy with a life insurance policy with the fact that it's going to take more work and human nature makes that more difficult. That's why this doesn't work. When you borrow against a life insurance policy, that has a cost, right? That has an interest cost. And so you're now taking an expense, whether it's groceries or a car, and you're now adding interest to that expense. How are you going to end up better off adding interest to your expenses because you have a life insurance policy. The reality is you're not. The interest would have to be far less than what the policy is going to earn you. And if you look at most of these policies, that's not the case. So huge problems with infinite banking. I tell people, please, whatever you do, don't do infinite banking. It's going to be an exercise that you're going to one day regret. It's going to frustrate you. You're going to lose money. So if I can catch people early on enough, to, to have them not do it, great. If I catch people that have already started, we can fix it. If you want, we can fix it with something called a 1035 exchange. I'm guessing your audience is very familiar with 1031 exchanges. This is just four sections in the tax code away from each other. They're very sim similar, but you can exchange one life insurance policy for another. It's not a taxable event. You don't even need a QI and you can fix a policy that, that you currently have. Oh, cool. So those are those are the big uh, the big pieces on why infinite banking doesn't work. I'm going to mention one other thing. The type of life insurance company that you use is crucial. And this is not um, this is not really explained very well, in my opinion, on the front end. And sadly, most people that are pitching life insurance uh, only sell one company. And they only sell one company usually because they're known as what's a captive agent. Captive agents work for one insurance company. They only sell that, that one insurance company and they have special contracts and special agreements with that insurance company to only sell their product. And that is a conflict of interest that I believe is that merits uh, taking a look at. You, you can't avoid all conflicts of interest in life. And so that's not the point, but there are going to be conflicts of interest that you should be aware of that should be disclosed on the front end. And that doesn't happen here. So let's talk quickly, high level. What are the different types of life insurance companies? And then I'll get into some more details that matter. There's really three main types of insurance companies. You've got stock, you've got mutual, and then there's a third called fraternal. Uh, I'm not going to talk about fraternal life insurance companies. They're very rare. If you're doing business with a fraternal life insurance company, it really means you have a desire to help 
and another organization, whether it's the Knights of Columbus, whether it's the Catholic Church, whoever. That's what a fraternal life insurance company is. And so people that do business with those insurance companies, it's really not uh, for what that policy is going to do for them, even though it might give them some benefit. It's because they want to further benefit some other organization. So fraternal life insurance companies, they don't want, they don't work if you want to have a life insurance strategy that works. That, that leaves you with stock and mutual, which, which has to be over 95% of the remaining life insurance companies. A life insurance strategy that you want to utilize for some sort of a financial strategy for you while you're living, meaning it's not a term policy, right? You don't benefit from a term policy and you don't want someone else to benefit from it either because that means you're dead, right? So this is a, a, a policy that is going to give you benefits while you're living. You're going to want to use a mutual life insurance company. Stock companies uh, don't have obligations to pay profits to policyholders like a mutual company does because a mutual life insurance company is owned by the policyholders. Now, you might hear this elsewhere, but now let's get into another uh, idiosyncrasy. And again, why I'm not a fan of infinite banking. Uh, there's actually two different types of mutual life insurance companies. There's direct recognition and there's non-direct recognition. The first policy that I mentioned that I had that didn't work, one of the reasons it didn't work was because it was a direct recognition company. Guess what? No one told me that there even was classifications of direct recognition and non-direct recognition. I was looking at the numbers and I, and I was like, wait a minute, this was what the dividend was supposed to be, but it was less. Why? And it's because of, it was a direct recognition company. What does this mean? Well, direct recognition is a legal term, and it means that the insurance company is going to directly recognize any policyholders that actually borrowed against their policy the previous year, and they're going to change the economics of the policy. That's a problem, <laughs> right? And so what that means is, is that when you, were, when you were pitched this life insurance policy and you were shown this illustration, there's nowhere that you can see direct recognition at play on that illustration because it only happens when you borrow against the policy. And you're being shown an illustration where you haven't borrowed against it yet. So this is like, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors in a sense. This is, you know, in my opinion, bait and switch. This has to be explained to people on the front end so that they can make a decision with all of the facts. And so again, most people that are pitching infinite banking are utilizing direct recognition life insurance companies. If you wanna know whether or not the policy that you have is direct recognition, if you wanna know whether something you're, that you're being pitched is direct recognition, feel free to reach out to me. I can tell you pretty much instantly there's not that many insurance companies in the space. I pretty much have them memorized. Uh, and then you could also ask the person you're working with, but I do want to give you a heads up. Interestingly enough, a lot of people selling this stuff don't even understand it. They don't even know. I'll give you a um, interesting uh, case study here. I had, I had a rep yeah, I had a representative contact me recently and somehow he heard about me and he heard that I teach people about direct recognition, which I don't like, and non-direct recognition, which I prefer. 
and he represents uh, an insurance company called Northwestern Mutual. If you've heard of life insurance, you've heard of infinite banking, you've probably heard of Northwestern Mutual. They are a big company, but they're also a direct recognition company. So he asked to talk to me because he wanted to find out why I'm so adamant about this. And he made an interesting comment to me, by the way, we spoke yesterday. He said, Will, I really didn't understand the, the full ins and outs of direct recognition. And so I called the home office of Northwestern Mutual, which I think is in Milwaukee. And he said it was not easy to get this information from them. He, he said he spent at least an hour on the phone trying to get this information out. This is my point. This is information that's being suppressed, that's not being described, and that is a red flag. And that means it probably doesn't benefit you as a policyholder. So if you have a direct recognition policy, you wanna know that, number one. If you're being pitched one, you wanna know that, number two. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I have never seen it to where it benefits you as the policyholder. It makes the numbers worse. So that's huge. Now, as I mentioned before, David, I decided I was either going to scrap this idea and never look at life insurance again, or I was going to solve it and I was able to solve it. So what I've, what I've been able to create, and we are, we, we've got a really good reputation for this across the country, is I was actually able to create a life insurance strategy that works, that doesn't have the problems that I just described. Before I go into that, I want to make good on my promise. And that is telling everybody what is the biggest cost with life insurance. And no one else will tell you this. Trust me, I've listened to tons of presentations. I've read a lot of books. Nobody will mention this. Here it is right here. The biggest cost with life insurance is lost opportunity cost. That's your largest cost. For those of you that don't know what that is, lost opportunity cost is when you don't have access to funds and therefore you lose out on the opportunity to invest in something else. That's what lost opportunity cost is. And so with a life insurance policy, the amount of money that you put into it that you do not have access to either the first year, first two years, three years, whatever, whatever that time frame is, that is true lost opportunity cost. Now, you also have lost opportunity cost in your example, when you own term insurance, but it's just on a little bit of money. You're paying for term and you can't invest that money. So we need to look at whole life insurance the same way and say, if you put in $25,000 in, into this policy and you can't access any of that $25,000, that you have lost opportunity cost on that money. And so any type of financial projection, financial numbers, comparative analysis on should I do this whole life insurance policy or should I not has to take in that lost opportunity cost and nobody will do that. That's the key. I'm so, so glad most you whole, said that. I, <laughs> most I, I, whole I life insurance. Sure. Yeah, it's huge. Most whole life insurance, just I would call it off the shelf whole life insurance you're going to have access to almost nothing that you put into it for at least the first year. That's unacceptable to me. I love to invest when I, when I find a deal and it's a deal and I want to take advantage of it. I've got to have liquidity. I've got to be able to use my money to do that. So that's off the table. Now, some people that have experience, even some people in, in this infinite banking 
movement, if you will, they're going to, they're going to say, well, I'm going to come to the rescue and I've got this incredible magic rider called a paid up editions rider. And if I put that on your policy, you're actually going to have access to some of your money early on. Okay. They're right. Now I still don't like it. Why? Number one, the paid up edition riders that they're putting on these policies, I don't use them. And I don't recommend that people use them for a couple of reasons. Why? Number one, this is the biggest one. If that rider is not removed from the policy at some point in the future, usually around years six, seven, or eight, that life insurance policy becomes known, it becomes what's known as a MEC, M-E-C. It stands for Modified Endowment Contract. If a life insurance policy ever becomes a MEC, you have just lost all of the tax benefits of the life insurance policy. You now really don't want to touch that money until you're 59 and a half, and it becomes this vehicle that you don't want anymore. So avoiding MEC is key. And I'm going to tell you, unfortunately, these people selling it don't stay in the industry long enough. And come year six, seven, or eight, when you need someone to tell you and help you to take the rider off properly, they're nowhere to be found because they're off in some new career. So this rider that, they, that they're saying comes to the rescue, it doesn't really come to the rescue. It's, what it's going to do is it's going to cause you future problems. And my plan here is for you to not have any future problems down the road. Number two, that rider is only going to give you about 60 to 70% liquidity of your money, which is better than zero. But in my opinion, it's not good enough. So my strategy, David, that I have personally created I call it the bank replacement strategy. The reason I came up with the name was twofold. One, I need to get as far away from infinite banking as possible. And two, what I'm saying is, is that a bank savings account is actually probably not the best place to store cash that you are saving up to invest in something like real estate, like a business, et cetera, down payment, whatever. And so I'm saying, let's find something better than a bank account, than a bank savings account to accumulate significant amounts of money. Let's call it tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, that we can utilize to still do the same investments we were going to do, but not earn pennies or next to nothing like we would with a bank savings account. That's the difference. So if I can create a policy that's going to give you similar liquidity to a bank account, that's going to earn a return greater than a bank account, that's going to give you tax benefits, meaning the gains are tax-free, it's gonna give you a death benefit, and it's going to give you the ability to access it, to take advantage of these investments that you are planning on making anyway, that in my opinion is a winning strategy. And that's exactly what this strategy is. So we have figured out a way to give our clients at minimum 90%, sometimes more liquidity on day one of that policy. That's significant. Now, now we're talking, to, talking about similar liquidity that you would have in a bank account. And, and then again, we are not looking at this. Life insurance is often pitched as this is better than an investment. This is better than your bonds in your portfolio. This is something you need in your investment portfolio to diversify. I think that's all bogus. What I'm saying now is no, 
this is not going to be better than an investment. This is now going to be better than a bank account. And if I can give you something better than a bank account that enables you to continue to do the same investments that you are planning on doing anyway, now that's a winning strategy. And that's exactly what this is. I don't have to play with numbers and statistics and try to pull the wool over people's eyes to try to convince them that some life insurance policy is going to be better than some investment that they're making because the life insurance policy is tax-free and the investment is not. That's all bogus. But if I can show you that this life insurance policy, David, is actually better than a bank account and, and has a higher return than a bank account, and you can still invest in the same things you were going to invest in anyway, I think that is a winning strategy. So I love a couple of things here. I love the fact that you mentioned opportunity costs because I agree. And that's one of the reasons that I tell uh, a lot of people like this makes sense if you can overfund because if you can't, then you're stuck. I think I think I heard uh, like seven years is like the average kind of break even on on being able to start pulling that capital, which that's a lot of that's a lot of opportunity cost. Um, and then I right. love the fact that you clarified like that it is a great like savings alternative as opposed to like your your main investment vehicle because I definitely see. I think my favorite, my favorite whole life pitch that I see in my Facebook group is where people are like, well, if you look at 2007 and 2008 and you were going to retire in 2009, then life insurance is the only thing that would have saved you. And it's like, well, okay. But if you look at the last hundred years, then the stock market outperforms. And they're like, well, that's not what we're talking about. I'm like, ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> like different strategies. Um, Right. So I, I love that you solved a lot of those problems, um, especially the liquidity up front. I think that's huge. I think if you if you can't pull the capital out, then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot unless you're just looking at it from a uh, preservation of capital standpoint as opposed to a wealth building strategy. So, yeah. Yeah. Let me give you a quick success story. It's a uh, it, it's an outlier. So don't pe people don't need to think, oh, if I can't do that, then this isn't for me. This is an outlier. I had a family, very wealthy family from California, <clears throat> contact me about seven years ago. And they said, hey, Will, we heard about your strategy. We like it, but we are wanting to buy a multifamily property, but this property is off market. And so we've got to buy it with cash. So we want to do your strategy, but we also need to close on this within the next few weeks can we do both? Otherwise, we're just going to do the, the, the apartment building. And I said, absolutely, we can do it. That, that's what this strategy was built for. That's what it was designed for. And so this family wrote a check for $2 million into their life insurance policy. And within the next seven days, took out around $1.8 million to pay cash for that multifamily property. That is the power of this strategy. And that's I mean, that's phenomenal. And then this is a non-direct recognition, I assume, because you hate direct recognition. Yes. And and to clarify for that yes. in, in super dumbed down layman's terms for, for well, I can't be the only idiot Marine on this, uh, listening to this podcast. So um, my understanding is that, and actually I just read the book, uh, Lifestyle Investor, like last week. And that was the first time I'd ever heard about direct versus non-direct recognition. Uh, and I've 
thought I'd done a little bit of research and whatever. So essentially what that means for those of you listening and correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you have a hundred thousand dollars that you're getting paid the dividend on in a direct recognition policy or in a non-direct recognition policy, if you lend out 90,000 of it, you still earn on the 10, on the hundred thousand. And in a direct recognition, you're now only earning interest on the 10,000 that's left in the uh, account. And the other, is that, is that accurate or is it that the percentage drops or it's, it's fairly accurate. Um, by, by the way, I had no idea you read that book. Uh, he, uh, Justin Donald, who wrote that book, uh, he came to me to have me fix his life insurance. And I taught him about direct recognition and non-direct re- recognition, which is why it ended up in the book. <laughs> so, I, that's awesome. Uh, I actually, it was the first like strictly investment related book that I've read in a long time that I actually enjoyed. Like a lot of it, it just seems like it's regurgitating new stuff. And I was reading his, you know, or listening to it. And I was like, wow, this, there's actually a lot of good stuff in this. So it was a nice change of pace. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. His stuff's phenomenal. You almost got everything perfect. So in a non-direct recognition environment, which is what I help people set up and what I recommend, you're going to get the dividend as if you had not taken any money out of the policy. They're they're not going to say, oh, well, you took money out, but this person didn't. And so they get more money than you do. That's not what they're going to say at all. So yes, you can borrow against the policy and you're going to get the same dividend as if you had not borrowed against the policy. Direct recognition, though, is going to change what your policy is credited based on how much money you actually borrowed against the policy. And so I look at that as actually something that is going to deter someone from wanting to use the cash, which, again, maybe this is a little conspiracy theorist minded, but I think that that's what the insurance company is going for. They're like, hey, what can we do to deter people from borrowing against the, the policy? That's one way of changing your dividend if you borrow against the policy. That's what direct recognition is. Yeah, which, I mean, essentially, well, I wouldn't say it completely eradicates, but it 100% makes the, uh, I mean, that's essentially the whole idea behind infinite banking is that when you borrow money, you're earning interest on, you know, three different ways. And so if they're not telling you that, oh, by the way, we're not actually going to give you that interest once you use the money, like, I mean, it it actually kind of makes like, it's almost comical to me to hear some of those things, because if you think about it from like a, like a, like a residential lender situation, like the amount of regulations that those guys have, it's like, you could never get away with not, you know, whatever. But then in the insurance world, it's like, there's just, it's, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's the wild West, but like the regulations are much less. And so the fact that somebody could give you a policy with a sales pitch that says this and then not even mention that that's not really the case is um yeah i mean it was it was mind-blowing to me when i heard that because i was like i didn't know that was a thing and that's i mean that's a yeah (laughs) huge difference yeah yeah honestly people just need to be be told the truth and it's very trust me it's very frustrating to me because what happens is it ends up giving the entire industry a black eye People have done it and they get a bad taste in their mouth and they're like, I'm not going to make that mistake again. It's not really helping anyone. I, uh, yeah, I, I definitely may or may not have, when I first read Rich Dad Poor Dad, got into a uh, first command whole life insurance policy that, uh, you know, I, I think I had that thing for four and a half or five years. And when I finally got fed up and cashed it out, I think I got like a check for 600 bucks. And, you know, so I was like, oh, yay, I made 
so much progress with this thing. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. <clears throat> That's awesome. So any, any other questions you can think of? Yeah. I mean, I think we, those are the most, like the most common things that I hear when I'm, when I'm hearing this is, is people trying to pitch it as the best investment ever and not mention that it's more of a saving strategy or a wealth preservation, capital, mm-hmm. capital preservation strategy. Um, people not mentioning the opportunity cost and how long it's going to take to actually get access to those funds. If you can't afford to overfund it, uh, and then right. um, the the direct recognition, non-direct recognition. I think that's, uh, those are probably the biggest things. I guess the question for me would be like, in your opinion, is there like an avatar that this makes sense for more than like, if you're in, for most of my audience, it's like young service members or, or, or service members in general. Like, do you think, like, is there a spot for this in like a 19, 20 year old who's thinking long-term or is it better geared for somebody who is a little further along? I don't curious if there's an avatar that this is a better strategy for, or if it just depends on how you use it. Yeah. It's really going to be for somebody that feels like they're ready to start saving a certain amount of money on an annual basis and investing that money going forward. You really need to have, you know, your income established. You need to have your you know discipline established to where you're not spending everything you make it's like okay here's what i make i live off of this i save this and i invest it once you're established in that regard that's a time to begin to look into it Uh, but really that's what it comes down to we're just taking a portion of what people are saving and investing on an annual basis anyway and just running it through the life insurance policy in order to give them an additional asset that they're going to be proud of as opposed to a, a simple bank account. Yeah. I mean, I, that actually is a really simple and very understandable explanation. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Cause you're right. I, I, so, so I think the reason that I originally got like such a sour taste in my mouth, other than the, my personal first command experience was uh, I was just seeing people get told in the Facebook. I, I, at one point I saw somebody get told that they should liquidate their 401k, their thrift savings plan, and just dump it into uh, life insurance instead. And this is like a 19 year old kid who was living paycheck to paycheck. And I'm like, you know, like, no, no, you shouldn't like, yeah, you could do both, but maybe not, you know? So I think that's actually a really, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective where it's like, well, yeah, if you're already able to save this money consistently, then yeah, why, why not earn a better return on it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah, that's that's malpractice. A, a TSP is going to give you tax benefits. Um, I don't know that their situation, but hopefully they were using the Roth side of that so that they, they would get tax-free growth. I'm a huge Roth fan. I didn't mention Man. this, but I, I wrote a book on Roth called Roths for the Rich. It's on Amazon. It's the only book that I've ever found written on Roth specifically for the affluent. Most of what people believe about Roth is not true. It's a phenomenal tax-free vehicle that I think everybody should be utilizing if they can. Here's what I would say, David. I'm going to save your people so much time right now. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Uh, here's, Here's what you need to do. Anytime someone is pitching you life insurance, just immediately ask two questions. Ask if at, at once ask the, ask for the company name, but as soon as they give that to you, it's going to be meaningless. Follow up with this question. This is the important one. Is it non-direct recognition or direct recognition? Start there. If they don't know, 
then they're probably not your person. Okay. If they don't know the, the, the industry, they're not your person, right? Like if you're, if you're going to somebody for a mortgage and you ask them, you know, do you do a VA loan and they don't know what a VA loan is, they're not your guy. Okay. So if they say direct recognition, then they do know what they're talking about and you know, it's direct recognition. You can just shut the conversation down right there and just say, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in direct recognition, life insurance. Huge. I've just saved you so much time. Um, the second question is, if they seem like they know what they're talking about, they immediately say it's non-direct recognition. The second question is this, can you give me 90% liquidity on day one of the policy? And if they hesitate or they say, I don't know, or not quite, well, then you just say, I'm not interested because that exists. That's what we're doing for hundreds of people yeah. right now. Um, if they say yes, then, then you could say, great, show me an illustration. That's where you want to see you. Then, then you want to make sure that they're not just saying yes to get you to move into further conversations, but you're probably going to get at least one no, if not two no's, it's going to save you a ton of time. Yeah, that's, I, I think that right there is worth the entire podcast is just knowing like, look, these are the two biggest, maybe risks isn't the right word because I mean, life insurance is fairly secure, but sure. maybe, maybe not risk, maybe cost is probably a better word biggest expenses yeah uh, and if you just know to ask those questions then at least you're headed in the right direction um and obviously yeah. uh the you know the the natural follow-up here towards the end of our recording is where can people get a hold of you if they would like to talk to you about this email is best you you can just throw that in the in the show notes it's uh it's just my name so it's will at duffy and then method m-e-t-h-o-d.com will at duffymethod.com if you're looking for you know a review of your existing policy you're looking for a review of something that you're being shown right now or you even want to get life insurance email me i'll connect you with someone on my team and you'll be well taken care of that sounds awesome is there anything we missed any uh, oh i have a friend who always asks this question and i i'm trying to teach myself to ask it because as ridiculous as it is i think it's a good quite a good way to frame it because it always gets a good response uh what questions would people smarter than me ask that i have not <laughs> i always sure. make fun of him when he asks so, that, but yeah if we got as in-depth as possible on this we could honestly talk for three hours there, there's always going to be things that come up so let me try to hit some of them um if you don't if you're not healthy if you have serious health issues you might not be approved by the insurance company, which means this strategy is off the table for you anyway. If you have health issues, it's fine. I'm talking about serious health issues. We're talking about, you know, stage four cancer, you know, diabetes, things of this nature. So let me give another piece, another really helpful tip for, for everybody that, that, that follows you and listens to you. You can do what's called an informal request with a life insurance company where you don't even have to give your name. You don't have to fill out an application. You don't have to take an exam. The informal request just gives your statistics, your age, whether you're a male or female, and then it gives you know your health condition and any medications you're on. We can send that to an underwriter and they'll tell us if it's even worth going into underwriting or not. Um, you have to take your health into consideration when you're looking at this strategy. There, there's a flip side to, the, to this coin, though, which is if you're healthy now, you might not be the rest of your life. And so getting it done while you're healthy makes sense because if you're ever something ever does happen to your health, even if you get cancer and survive it, 
they can't take away that policy from you, which, which you have at, you know, good health rates. So that's something to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. You can use other people's lives. So all the time we have, not all the time, but frequently we have either a husband or a wife that has health issues, but they still want to do the strategy. We can do that on the spouse. No problem. Um, let me, let me mention this one. Uh, th this is a, a question that somebody smarter than both of us asked, <laughs> and I learned from it. I learned from it. The question was this, does the size of the life insurance company matter? And I didn't know the answer to this at the time. And I now know the answer is absolutely. I categorize life insurance companies into three categories, small, medium, and large. What I've learned over time is that large life insurance companies have the resources and wherewithal to, to make investments that the small insurance companies do not have the ability to. And so when it, when it comes to the insurance company's dividend rate, when it comes to the insurance company's general portfolio performance, the smaller companies are struggling to create yield in their uh, portfolio because they're only able to invest in traditional bonds and his interest rates are historically low. And so they're really struggling to find yield. Whereas the big insurance companies, they can invest in real estate, they can invest in businesses, and they actually have the ability to create yield in this low interest rate environment. And so I would say, yes, insurance company size absolutely matters. We only work with large companies. So a couple other pieces there that might uh, be helpful for, for everyone. Well, I hadn't thought about that last piece. That's awesome. That's a, I mean, and that's a phenomenal question too. Um, but that's cool, man. Well, Absolutely. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. This is good. I I'm glad to, um, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you up and we're going to, we're going to have to talk. I I've been thinking I might be in a spot where it makes sense. So, uh, especially with the irony that I just read that book and you're the reason he was saying all the things I like. I, I feel like we should, and obviously Chris recommends you. So uh, definitely, definitely going to chat, but I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on awesome. and kind of dispelling some of these rumors. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to be here. Happy to help. And uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.